We'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 11. 2 Corinthians 12, 11, and we'll go to the end of the chapter. hear the word of the Lord. Paul says in verse 11, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This is God's holy word. Let's pray for his help now. Lord, we remember the words that you spoke through Isaiah, that we are to go to the law, to your instruction, and to the testimony. And that if we do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no dawn. Lord, there is no light apart from your word. And we cannot understand your word without the light of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray for the Spirit to guide us into the truth, to understand the truth that you have already revealed. We pray that you would teach us how we might live and walk in obedience to your commands. And we pray that you might teach us of Christ and show us him and his grace. May we live lives that are to the glory of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask through Jesus Christ. Amen.
Well, maybe you know or don't know that these days it costs about $300,000, they say, to raise a child uh, in America. Uh, the average cost to raise a child from birth and all the expenses of that child being born up until they turn 18 and usually leave the house costs about $300,000 or $17,000 a year. So kids, next time you complain about how you don't have money, like your parents have all kinds of money, remember that you cost $17,000 a year. Uh, so if you want to go out and get a job, uh, maybe you could do that, and then we would make you pay $17,000 a year to your parents. But that's not how it works. Uh, parents spend money, lots of money, on their kids. Kids are expensive. And we know that uh, in our day in Western society is kind of anti-children and becoming more and more anti-children. And people have now what they call their fur babies and they choose these pets over children. But for the most part, if you go around the world and you ask rich and poor, do you want to have children one day? Most people would say that they do want children. The vast majority of people, even the very poor, they want to have children. A natural desire for a little girl is to grow up and want to be a mom, and a boy wants to one day become a man and be a dad. So why? Why would people desire to have children, even though they're so expensive? Why do parents want children knowing that in this country it might cost 300000 per head, per child? Uh, why sacrifice, if you want to call it that? Why spend so much time and so much money? Because it's not just money either, is it? Parents spend their lives for their children. We lose sleep over our children. When they're babies, we lose sleep because they wake us up. When they're kids, they wake us up because they get sick in the middle of the night. And then when they grow up, we lose sleep because we worry about what they're doing. So we, we lose sleep over them. We spend our days driving them around. We make sure that they are educated and fed and provided for. Why go through all of this effort? Why do the poor and the rich and so many people around the world go through so much effort? Well, we all know the answer. It's, it's obvious. It's because of love. It's because we love our children. And to spend this $300,000 on average is not considered a sacrifice for us. It's just normal. It's just what you do because they're your child and you love them and so you are going to provide for them. It's because of love that we gladly spend of ourselves, our money, and our lives for our children. Now, Paul, in this passage, uses this metaphor of parenting and children as a description of his relationship to the churches, and especially here, the Corinthian church. Paul says that he is like the father who 
desires willingly and gladly to spend, spend money and spend of himself, of his life for their good. And so this picture of parenting shows us a little bit about what we are supposed to be like as Christians, as followers of Christ, spending of ourselves and being spent for the sake of the gospel. Paul is an apostle here, so he has a unique relationship to his church. He planted this church. We could also apply this to pastors. Calvin, in his commentary, he says about verse 15, Let all pastors learn from this what they owe to their churches. And so we could spend a lot of time talking about that. Pastors owe to their churches that they would spend of themselves and be spent for the souls of those in the church. But most, most of you are not pastors here. We're not at a pastor's conference. So we have to think about how does this apply to us as Christians? Well, we can still apply that concept to every Christian. and How we are called to serve Christ and work for the gospel and be part of Uh, sharing the gospel, promoting the gospel. Verse 15 is true for all of us and any of us. We should most gladly spend and be spent for the souls of others. This is what we want to talk about today. And so the passage is broken up into two parts. Uh, The first part called glad spending, where Paul talks about this in verses 11 to 18, and then verses 19 to 21, where Paul fears he might have squandered his spending. That's the second part. So let's look at the glad spending, starting in verse 11. So in verses 11 to 18, the main idea that he is talking about is that he doesn't want to be a burden upon the church in Corinth specifically a financial burden. So this is what he's going to bring up. And this is where he gets to being spent for them. So first, verse 11, he says, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. So remember where this passage is in the context of the letter. Remember that Paul, since chapter 11, verse 16, has been starting this foolish boast, this foolish speech. And last week we looked at the first 10 verses of chapter 12, where he boasted about his weakness because of this thorn that was in his flesh. And so now he's finished up his foolish speech. And he now says in verse 11, I've been a fool. What a fool I have been to to talk about myself, to boast about myself. But remember, this whole time, Paul has been sarcastic about his boasting. Uh, He's talking about himself because he's being forced to. That's what he says here. He's being forced into a corner where he has to defend himself. But when he defends himself, he defends his weakness. That's what makes him an apostle, is his weakness. So he's been a fool, he says. He's been forced to it. He says, I ought to have been commended by you. You're the ones that should be boasting about me. You should be bragging about me. I planted your church. You heard the gospel through me. 
you should be my letters of recommendation. But I got nobody to write me a letter of recommendation, and so I've got to defend myself, Paul says. I've got to defend that I'm apostle by boasting about my weakness. And he goes on to say, I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. This is his nickname for those apostles, the super apostles, because they think they're super. They think that they're great. And Paul says, I'm not inferior at all. And then he ends by saying, even though I am nothing. Because it sounds like he's bragging. I'm not at all inferior to them. But he says, well, just remember, I'm a nobody. But that's what an apostle is. An apostle is a nobody. An apostle is what, what Paul says is the scum of the earth. So that's not a lot to brag about. But it shows that he's an apostle. So then he goes on. Here's another reason he's an apostle. Verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. With utmost patience or endurance through all kinds of sufferings, Paul says he showed the signs of being a real apostle. Miracles, healing, uh, signs and wonders, he calls them. And these signs and wonders were given by God Uh, these spiritual gifts given at the time to authenticate the message of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. So maybe you have an online bank account, and normally now with online bank accounts, they have what's called two-factor authentication. Uh, So you have to put in a password, and then put in the password, they send you a code. And you have to put in the code. That's the second factor. So all these security measures to authenticate, to prove that the person signing into that account is really you and not somebody else. So what was the authentication that someone was a true apostle and that someone was hearing revelation from God and speaking revelation from God and communicating that revelation. It was signs and wonders. These were there just to prove that this was a true apostle sent by God, and so you could believe and hear his message of the gospel. Now today, there are people who claim signs and wonders and mighty works, but These things are not real. These things are fake. These are not from God. They're not from the Holy Spirit because we no longer have apostles. The apostolic age ended with the death of the last apostle, which most people think was John. Paul was the last person to ever become an apostle. And the the purpose of the apostles was to communicate the message of Christ, the gospel message. Here is Christ's life, and here's the doctrine that you need to believe about Christ and his church. And once that's all set up, that's the foundation of the church, the apostles go away. And so when the apostles go away, the authentication of the apostles goes away. We don't need signs and wonders anymore. Because all the revelation of truth and the gospel that we have is completed in 
the Scriptures. The canon is closed. This is all that we need. This is all the revelation from God that you need. God does not reveal himself in any other special ways except through his word. Now that the apostles have gone off the scene. So scripture has been completed. Signs and wonders have also been completed. But for Paul, this was a sign that he was an apostle. And so then he says in verse 13, In what way were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. So he says, I preached the gospel to you. I had signs and wonders among you. In what way were you shortchanged among all the churches? In no way. Except the only difference in how I treated you guys was that I did not burden you. And what he's talking about here is that financial burden. That burden of taking money from them. And remember back in chapter 11, he said that he robbed other churches, in a sense, by taking money from other churches, like the church in Macedonia, so that he could preach the gospel to them in Corinth free of charge. So here's the issue. Here's the issue that Paul is trying to defend himself again in this second half of chapter 12. They are attacking him. They are accusing him of doing something wrong because he wouldn't charge in his preaching of the gospel. And so sarcastically, he says, forgive me this wrong. Now, why didn't he charge? Well, it's because it was for their good. For one thing, Paul didn't want them to think that he was only there to get a job. He was only there for their money. And they would doubt his message of the gospel and his sincerity because he was taking money from them for, for preaching. And so he didn't want that to be an accusation. So he didn't take money from them. He didn't charge them. Probably Paul also didn't want a client relationship with people that he's preaching to. He didn't want to feel obligated that he had to maybe hold something back because he might make somebody mad. If you make somebody mad and they're paying you, then that doesn't always work out very well. And so he wanted to be rid of any of that kind of uh, relationship. And so he decided that he was going to take money from other churches and have them support uh, so that the Corinthians wouldn't have to pay. He didn't have to charge them. So why would they attack him? Well, because, remember, in Corinth, uh, charging money shows how much you're worth. If you can charge a lot of money, it must mean that you're worth a lot of money. And so when they look at Paul and they see that he's charging nothing, they think Paul must be worth nothing. That's just how it is in Corinth. When you have all these professional speakers out there, this was entertainment for everyone, that you go on the weekends, you go for fun to go and listen to people preach, and you pay, not, not to preach, but to speak, and you pay to hear them speak. 
And so a great speaker is going to charge a lot for his speaking. In our day, I think President Barack Obama is the one who charges the most for his speaking. He charges $400,000 per event. Now, I don't charge $400,000 per speaking event. Why is that? Because people will pay President Obama $400,000. And so in that sense, you can say he is worth it because people are willing to pay it. And that's a sign. He can say, I have this status. It's a sign of status that he can charge $400,000. And that's how the Corinthians would think. That would be a man that you would want to go listen to. Paul is exactly the opposite because he charges nothing. And so here's this whole problem, this whole attack that they're bringing upon him, this concept of being a financial burden, that he's not a burden. So now look what he says in verse 14. So here for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Paul is writing this letter to say he's coming for the third time. First time was to plant the church. The second time, remember, was that painful visit when they attacked him. And so he left and he wrote these other letters. And now he's coming again for the third time, and he wants to tell them, when I come, I'm not going to be a burden for you. I'm not going to charge you. I'm not going to make you support me financially because I do not seek what is yours. I seek you. I'm not after you for your money. I'm after you for your souls. I care about having a relationship with you. And this relationship is like a father with his children. Fathers don't charge their parents for everything that they do. I drove you to practice today. Pay me what the Uber driver would would have paid you. No, parents don't charge their children. And so this isn't a client relationship here. This is a family relationship. I'm not seeking what is yours, your money. What I want is a relationship with you. And so here is this illustration that he uses. Parents. And their children. Just as a parent will spend money on his children, $300,000, not so that the child can then grow up and get a job and pay back the loan, even if it's an interest-free loan. No, parents don't. Don't make the child pay that money back. No. That child usually grows up, and they also often will become a parent. And they pay for their children. And so you go, the cycle goes on and on. So this is the image that Paul is talking about when he says the main point of the passage in verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Paul is glad, like a parent spending money on his children, he is glad to spend himself 
for them and their souls. He says that he will spend himself. Notice that he's not here talking just about money. But the money is what brings up the issue of their relationship. I'm going to spend and be spent. To be spent means I'm going to spend my life for you. I'm going to do everything for you. I'm going to pour out myself for you. And then we have that next phrase that explains it. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? So when Paul says he's going to spend himself, it's not money he's talking about. It's love. I love you, and I'm going to pour out my love upon you, and I'm going to love you more and more and more, because everything I'm doing for you is because I love you. Are you going to love me less? So he's going back to the financial thing. Are they going to attack him when he's trying to do something that is purposefully because he loves them? He's going to spend his life and pour out his life for them, and they will love him less because of it? Well, we'll look at applying that to us in a few minutes, but let's finish this part of the letter in verses 16 to 18. Let's finish his thought. Verse 16, But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? So now we see here in these verses, he didn't burden them financially, but they accuse him of something else now. Crafty. Deceit. It's the word cunning. Remember that word cunning? Paul said in chapter 4, we refuse to practice cunning. He said in chapter 11, you are being conned. You, you are giving in to the deceits of Satan, who the serpent who was cunning with Eve, and you're being conned by these false teachers, these super apostles. You're the ones being conned, and you're accusing me of being cunning. They're accusing him of lying. They're accusing him of being deceitful. So what's going on here? Well, they're taking the fact that Paul doesn't charge. And remember back in 1 Corinthians how Paul had said, save up some money and store it up for the saints in Jerusalem. And then we talked in chapters 8 and 9 about how he was going to get the money and he's going to take it to Jerusalem. Well, now they're saying, look, Here's Paul. He's not charging any money. And he's asking us to save money up. And he's going to go take the money. And he says he's taking it to Jerusalem. But how do we really know? He's just playing a trick on us. He's just lying to us. Paul wants us to save money because he's going to act like he's not charging us. And then secretly he's going to take that money for himself instead of going to Jerusalem. So Paul is being accused of stealing, that he's going to steal. And that's why he brings up Titus and the brother, 
And remember how in chapter 8, we, we talked about Titus and how Paul was setting up these accountability measures to make sure that nothing fishy was going to go on. It doesn't even appear fishy, but everything is done honorably in the sight of men. It's because he's being accused of stealing. And you see how the Corinthians want it both ways. They, they want, as the saying goes, they want to have their cake and they want to eat it too. If Paul doesn't charge, they criticize him for not charging. And then if Paul takes their money, they criticize him for lying and stealing their money. Now, which one do you want? You want him to take your money or you not want him to take your money? Well, they want to criticize him. That's what they want. They want to attack him. And so they're going to find ways to attack him. That's usually how criticism works. People maybe will criticize the president and they'll say, oh, look at the president uh, doing nothing. He's not flying to Japan for that meeting. And then if he flies to Japan for the meeting, people say, oh, look at the president burning all those fossil fuels on that big jet that he's got. Well, what do you want? You want him not fly or you want him to fly? People criticize whatever they want. This is how criticism goes. So that's what they're doing to Paul. So Paul is saying here, that he will gladly spend and be spent for their souls. Everything he's doing is not to take advantage of them, but it's for their benefit. So now let's apply that to us. Do you feel spent? Do you feel spent? Do you feel like you are spending yourself and being spent. Some people say that they feel burnt out sometimes. I think that word is a little bit overused. There is real burnout. Burnout is not being tired. But there is a real burnout that happens. Burnout happens when we don't rest. We don't take Sabbaths. We don't take time off. We just work and work and work. Burnout happens when you don't say no to people or no to things. Um, maybe you've heard the saying that good is the enemy of great. And so you do a lot of good things, but you're not doing the most important things. You're not doing the great things. And that's when people get burnt out because they're doing lots of things and they're all good, but they're not the most important few things that we need to spend our time on. Burnout happens, and we don't want to get burnt out, but what we do want is what somebody called sustainable sacrifice. Sustainable sacrifice. We want to do the great things, the most important things, and when we are doing them, we want to sacrifice ourselves, we want to spend ourselves, you pour yourself into those great things. And then you rest, but you rest so that you can go back to spending yourself on those great things. So that you can sustainably sacrifice yourself for others. So, if you feel spent, it could be a good thing. It could be that you're being like Paul. It could be that you're spending and spending yourself for others, and for the gospel, and to serve the church. Fathers, 
We are called to spend and be spent in serving our wives and serving our children. Mothers, you are called to spend and be spent, to spend yourself in caring for your husband and caring for your children. We are doing this because we are spending and being spent for souls, for the souls of our children. We want them to know the gospel. We want them to know Christ. We want them to grow up into maturity and wisdom. And that takes effort, lots of effort. And so it's a good thing to spend and be spent. We are called to serve our church. Maybe you feel spent in serving. Well, that is what we're called to do. To be spent. To serve the church of Christ. But maybe you're not spending yourself. Maybe some of you are not. Uh, I'll use the, to use the words of 2 Corinthians 12, when he was talking about his experience in heaven. Remember when he said, I know a man? Well, let's use this, this illustration. I know a man who has a bunch of rhubarb in his backyard. And if this man takes and plucks all the rhubarb sticks off of the plant and gives them out to all of you, has he spent anything? No. You know why? Because that plant is growing like crazy, and that plant is going to keep growing a bunch of rhubarb, and it's just going to keep growing and growing and growing. It doesn't cost that man anything. To spend of himself would be for that man to dig up those plants and give them all away. So now he has no rhubarb. Or to go out and buy you a plant to spend his own money so you can have your rhubarb. You see the, you see the difference? You can be giving and giving and giving, but it costs you nothing. You're not really spending of yourself. Remember when David said, shall I offer to the Lord a sacrifice that costs me nothing? David was rich. So David could offer a sacrifice way bigger than anything else anybody else in Israel could have given. And it would have cost him nothing. David says, I'm not going to do that. And so we have to be careful. Even though you may be doing a lot of things, you may be working a lot, you may be doing a lot of work, Are you spending of yourself? Are you spending yourself for the souls of others? How can we spend ourselves? Well, one way is in evangelism and sharing the gospel. Spending of our time to be around unbelievers and to have relationships with them so that we can share the gospel with them. Another way to spend yourself is in discipleship, where we are called to invest in other people, to help people grow. So Again, you can, you can be a busy, but are you busy doing the great things? Are you investing in other people so that they might grow in Christ? Investing of your time, your energy, your wisdom your knowledge of the word of God, so that others might grow. This is spending of yourself. 
Hospitality is another way that we literally spend. It is an expense, money. It's an expense of time. This is why the New Testament commands us in multiple places. Christians show hospitality to one another. Now that can be in your home. That can be going somewhere. It can be different kinds of hospitality, but it's a command of Christians. It's a gift for some, but all are to do it because this is love. This is how you love people, by spending time with them. That's what the Bible says. So you are spending of yourself. It's not just like, here, here's some money, go away, I want nothing to do with you. But no, I'm going to spend my life, I want to spend my time with you. And that is how we spend and be spent for others. That's one way. And notice again, why it is for your souls, Paul says. We want people to be saved. And so we want to spend ourselves for that purpose. We want Christians to grow and to be edified. So we want to spend ourselves for that purpose. So parents, when you're spending yourselves to train your children, it is for their souls and their salvation. When you invite believers and unbelievers, it is for, over to your house. It's for the purpose of their souls being saved or growing in Christ. When we spend time evangelizing and discipling, it is for others' souls. And notice also, Paul says, we do it gladly. Paul is glad to do this. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe you do spend of yourself, but you're not very glad about it. You're doing it begrudgingly. Paul is the example of doing this gladly. It's holiday season, and uh, we recently had Mother's Day. Coming up, we have Father's Day. It's nice on Mother's Day or Father's Day. You get a card, and you feel appreciated. But does any mother or father say, you know why I spend myself for my children? It's because I get a card once a year. That's why I do it. No. No. Nobody, nobody does it to get a card. Mothers and fathers gladly spend of themselves because they love the souls of their family. And so you might not be appreciated. You might not feel appreciated. You might not see that anybody recognizes all your work that you're doing, all your hospitality or all your evangelism and all your discipleship, whatever it is. But we're not doing it to be appreciated or to be recognized, even though that's very nice and it's very encouraging. We do it gladly for the souls of others. Because we love them. We do this because this is what Christ has done for us. Christ humbled himself and gave up his life for us, for taking our sins on himself. And so... Christ did this, we follow his footsteps, spending ourselves for the souls of others. But let's look now for a few more minutes at the last part of the passage. In verses 19 to 21, Paul is afraid all of his spending 
may be a waste. He says in verse 19, Have you been thinking all along we've been defending ourselves to you? It's in the sight of God we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Paul is saying again, as he's boasting, it's not really a boast. If he's defending himself, it's not really defending himself. He knows God is going to judge him. Everything he's doing is for their edification. And then, when he talks about their edification, it sounds like in verse 20, he starts to think, oh yeah, these people really might need some edification. Because here are all these problems he now comes up with. So verse 20, For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. So, he's afraid. He might not find them as he wishes because he might find all this sin still in Corinth. They might not find him as they wish because he might not come with big hugs. He might come with discipline. He might come with confrontation of their sins. He's afraid that he might have to do that. He wants to be reconciled, but there might be still all of these sins that are still at work in Corinth. If you read 1 Corinthians, you can see this list of sins that was all happening in 1 Corinthians. And so Paul says, I'm afraid I might be humbled when I get there. I'm afraid I might have to mourn. So why would he mourn? Why would he grieve? Well, because he might say, guys, I wrote you four letters. This is the fourth letter he's writing them. Guys, I've preached hundreds of sermons to you. Guys, I've done everything for you. And now I come back and, and this, this is what I find? Slander and gossip and all kinds of rivalry and disorder and, and you're still sexually immoral? What is wrong with you guys? Were you not listening to any of my sermons? Did you not read any of my letters? So Paul says, God may humble me. Why would God, why would that humble him? Well, because, because Paul can get there and he can realize he can't do anything to make them change. God is the one who does the work. And so God will humble him by reminding him again, making it very obvious to him, Paul, it's not your great letters and it's not your sermons that change people. It's not what does the work of the gospel and builds up the church. It's, it's God who does it. And he will mourn because he's saddened by the sin that still remains in the church. Maybe this is your response as I'm talking about spending and being spent. You might say, well, I've tried that. 
I did that for a while, and, and you know what? A lot of good that did. Who, who's been converted through my evangelism? Uh, who's been blessed by my hospitality? Who, who's grown because of my discipleship? You, you know what happened? I, I share the gospel with people, and that unbeliever, he continues in his sexual immorality. I invested myself in, in someone in the church, and we had this great relationship. We were so close. And then you know what? Years later, I find out they were living a, a complete lie. Secretly, he was hiding all of this sin that he was doing. And he never told me. And I thought we had this close relationship. And, and then he just left the faith. I spent years investing in someone who just leaves the faith altogether. A lot of good I did. You invest yourself in someone in the church for years. And then one day they say, oh, I'm, I'm leaving the church because you sing songs by Charles Wesley. Like, what? What? I mean, Charles Wesley? This is people just, this is what they do. And so you say, what's the point? And you mourn. You mourn that people are sinful. You mourn that people reject and you're humbled because you realize you can't change people. And this is the problem. When you spend your... It's not the problem. It's the hard part. This, when you spend yourself and you're spent for people's souls, not everyone will appreciate it. People will let you down. And so you might feel like the servant in Isaiah 49, verse 4, he says, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing. That's the servant. That's a prophecy of the Messiah. What's the point? All these people reject me. Everybody's a phony. Nobody really cares. Nobody wants to grow. But the rest of that verse says, yet surely... My right is with the Lord. My recompense is with my God. Your reward is with God. God rewards your work. Not every person is going to reward your work. It's like the parable of the seed in Mark chapter 4, where he says the seed is put in the ground by the farmer, and the farmer goes to sleep, and he rises night and day, and the farmer does not know how the seed grows. In other words, he can't control the growth of the seed. He just works, he gets up, and he goes to sleep. And he does it over and over and over again. And while he's out there, he can't see it, but seeds are sprouting underground. And eventually it grows through the ground. And eventually it grows to be a plant. And eventually fruit comes. The farmer can't go, bam, bam, let there be fruit. You know, he, he can't control that. He just does his work, and then finally, there's fruit. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is like. And so, your part is to spend and be spent. Your part is to plant that seed and when you do the work of the farmer, 
You have not labored in vain. You have not spent your strength for nothing. You will mourn. You will be humbled. But one day, we'll get to the judgment seat. One day, Christ will return. One day, we'll see the kingdom of God being like the tree that has spread over all the world. And the kingdom of God will conquer. Christ will reign. And on that day, you can say with a good conscience, I was a part of that. I did my little part because I most gladly spent myself. And I was spent for others' souls. May God help us to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you uh, use us who, like Paul, are these clay jars who are just the, the farmers who do not know how the seed grows. We thank you for your grace and your kindness that you would use us to be a part of your kingdom and working for your kingdom. We ask, Lord, that you would remind us of this hope that we would always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain because our hope is in Christ. It is in his resurrection. It is in the fact that he is now seated as king and he will reign forever. And so in that light, we pray, Lord, help us to be spent and to spend ourselves for souls, for the sake of this kingdom of Christ. We ask in his name, amen.